0: I uh, missed you all while I was in Turkey. Uh, I want to share a couple things about what we did and why we were there, uh, real briefly. Let me pull up this first slide. It's a map. And uh, okay, okay. Uh, so we went. We flew into Istanbul, rented a van, and drove the 14 hours down to Antioch. Or up in the upper right hand corner is Antakya. And I'm sorry it's so small, but it's the only way I can show you the overview. So the the little heart up in the upper right that waypoint, that's really where we stayed the whole time we were there in a base. And the base was full of people from all over the world, Christians from all over the world. We had YWAMers from Brazil. We had uh, people from Australia, the Philippines, Ukraine. Uh, I mean, on and on the list went of people going, Christians going to serve the earthquake area. Now, the the earthquake affected a massive area. This is only a small portion of the map that was affected by the earthquake But on Sunday, we drove through Antioch itself. Now, remember, Antioch is in the Bible, in the book of Acts, is the first place where we were called Christians. The followers of Jesus were called Christians. And so uh, when we were driving down to Antioch from Istanbul, we drove through Galatia, the area of Galatia, and then Cappadocia, or or Cappadocia is how it's called today. And and, uh, we were just driving through all these places. We saw a road sign to turn off for Tarsus. Uh, and, uh, and it was just kind of a, a, a unique idea. And as we were driving now, it was like kind of thinking about the idea that we're trying to bring the gospel back to Antioch. And when we got there, Vitaly said something to me. He said, yeah, I'm really praying that God will allow us to bring the gospel back to Antioch, uh, that it's now circled the world. And, uh, and that's what's happening. Since the earthquake, it has disrupted so much. But it's also allowed for an open door. Let me show you a little video of us driving through Antioch, the city. It's like a ghost town. Uh, the whole city is just destroyed. Most of the buildings are all condemned if they're still standing. Uh, and they're slowly just tearing down all the buildings. Uh, very few have been left standing. So. Uh, This area just, you know, we saw people kind of scavenging through rubble, looking for stuff that they could take. But we're now five months after the earthquake. The death toll stopped at a little over 50,000 people. They stopped counting. And uh, they believe it's because the election was coming up. They just had the election. And that's one of the reasons why they stopped the death toll. The estimates are in the hundreds of thousands and there's a couple different uh, kind of reports that have been put out based on uh, cell phone lines that were never reconnected, things like that. So um, <clears throat> so this event was just so disruptive and, and uh, we worked in an area called Samanda, which is about 30 minutes uh, toward the ocean there. Would it, go back to that first map real fast. So uh, this road, where you see the heart in the middle, that's the warehouse that we would get supplies from to distribute. And the very bottom left-hand corner there, that's Samandah. And that's kind of the the general area we were working. If you were to continue following that road, you'd end up at Seleucia or the port city of the the port Seleucia, which is is no longer called that anymore. But that's where Paul left on his first missionary journey from. So uh, just to give you an idea of that, that, Passageway there would have been probably what Paul took to go from uh, Antioch to Seleucia, so we were working in samandah and let me pull up another map, go to the second map there so th- this is a little shot from my Gaia app, which I used to mark waypoints and where we 're going and If you were to zoom in you 'd see way more waypoints, but what we were doing is distributing food and hygiene, but as we would go to to meet people, find out what people 's needs are and then bring back food and hygiene, we, we found we were looking for certain people that would want to host us and talk to us and and be with us for a little bit so that, Lord willing, that would open up into sharing Bible stories, sharing about us and why we were there. And uh, Because this whole region is Muslim, the entire region. Uh, they're a sect of Islam. Most, the majority of the people are a sect of Islam called Olavi, which is looked at from... The president of Turkey is uh, kind of not Muslim. They're, uh, in a way, it'd be like saying they're really liberal, uh, liberal sect of Islam. But nonetheless, they were definitely very well trained in an apologetic against Christianity, which we'll share about on another night. We'll we'll get into more information. So each of these waypoints were were points that that were like, okay, we met someone here. This person, uh, we're going to come back and see this person, or we're going to go distribute this area. We made just little notes, and we came up with code names for everybody we met, well, a lot of the people we met, so we could remember who was who, and so on, and uh, basically, most of our time was spent between distribution and sitting and drinking tea and talking. Uh, So the the next page, next slide, so this is Alan and Naomi, a van full of food, hygiene, and one day we actually got a big truck, which was awesome. We were able to distribute a whole, like almost 200, no, it was over 200 boxes. It was like almost 400 uh, because uh, it was the sets of food and hygiene, Uh, but they were distributing these, and then the next slide. Um, So we would look for somebody oftentimes within the, the tent area, the community, that was somebody who really wanted to get to know us and talk to us, and then we would try to make them uh, be our helpers to help uh, hand out tickets to their neighbors and tell us how many families were in each tent and uh, just just be a part of that community because we really the idea here is that you start to reach people and then they 're going to be able to reach people right right that 's the kind of the, the idea of the gospel and so so they they were. Uh, this is a woman here in the center. Is one of those women that we kind of said, okay, you're going to be in charge when we hand stuff out, and uh, you'll you'll tell us how many families. And when we bring shoes, you'll you'll distribute those things. Go to the next picture. So we, we bought. Uh, do you do you know how many hundreds pairs of shoes? I was in the car waiting. Okay, so like 700 pairs of sandals that were purchased. And uh, that was one of the things that people wanted uh, very badly were shoes. Now, these people, like, a lot of them have, like, iPhones, uh, but they've since lost their jobs. Uh, So a lot of the people have no jobs anymore because the whole area has been just devastated. And the area we were working in was, like, a little suburb of Salmendab. And so you'll have, like, you can tell that it was a very affluent area before, but now it's not. And, uh, and this is what I was saying about this event being so disruptive is probably before the the, the people wouldn't have the time of day to sit and talk with you, drink tea with you, allow for you to share Bible stories. But now through this event, and they know that it's Christians who are coming to help. They know this, uh, they, they'll, they'll want to sit with you and talk to you. And so I, I believe it's time to really pray for workers for the harvest because we're, it's still the, the time of plowing. You're still trying to break up that ground. But I really believe that earthquake broke uh, a lot of it. And so now it's, it's just getting in there and sharing. So this is Naomi. She uh, met this widow. We met this widow who lost her husband, and she's all alone now. And uh, Naomi brought her some shoes, and she was washing her feet and putting lotion on the feet. And then uh, here's a picture of the shoes that we we would bring them. So there's little sandals that they could wear. Um, Go to the next picture. So this guy here, this is an example of how we would do this. We were working in a neighborhood. This man comes around on his little motorcycle tricycle motorcycle, and he's selling ice cream. He's basically an ice cream man. He's playing blaring Arab music out of the back of his truck, and he's doing these little shaved lemon ice thing that he's selling, and the guy's missing a leg. He has a prosthetic leg. He's missing an eye. Uh, we nicknamed him Nacho on our, our app for Nacho Libre because the little cart, so it was just a way we could remember who it was, So, uh, <laughs> but but he comes up, and he's like, uh, I know you're shaking your head, but you don't understand. You're meeting people constantly. You've got to figure out a way to identify them. So uh, he, he comes up, and he says, no, please come help my area. So I tell Phil, I'm like, Phil, just go with this guy and find out where he lives. So Phil just jumps in his cart, and they, they drive off with the air music blaring. And, and uh, Phil goes and finds out where he lives, talks with him. And, and the next day, we went back to, to his house. His, his name is actually Ilhan. And uh, go to the next picture. Uh, So there's uh, Ilhan and Phil with his shaved ice and then the next picture. Uh, So here we are sitting in Ilhan's tent. His family lost 81 people in the earthquake. So uh, to give you an idea of, of the loss that these people are experiencing. Not only do they lose things, but nobody will sleep inside their houses anymore. Even if like his house is still standing, but they won't sleep inside because they're terrified. You see... The, the first earthquake did a lot of damage, but the second one killed the most people. The first one happened at around 4-something a.m., and people left their buildings. They fled. buildings fell down. Then they went to their relatives' houses, and uh, the, the second earthquake hit at 1-something p.m., and that collapsed buildings. Uh, so you ran to your relatives' house, and then that building collapses on you. And so uh, he, Ilhan was telling us, and we saw that a lot of people were having, uh, like, they, they would wet their pants, uh, they, they had this fear, uh, especially children were, were now wetting their pants more. Uh, they, uh, went, his child, Ilhan's child, started stuttering since the earthquake. Uh, he developed a really bad stutter. Ilhan actually told us that they used to watch scary movies and were okay with it, but now they can't watch anything scary. They can't handle it at all uh, because it was just such a terrifying event that happened. So the next day we came back and visited Ilhan and we sat with him and we drank tea and we heard their story and then we would talk about where we were from and all that, those sorts of things. The next day we went back and they invited more of their family together and, uh, and I said, uh, you know, I have a story for you. It's a scary story, so I hope you'll be okay with it, but it has a good ending. Uh, but I think you can identify with it because in the story, uh, these people feel like they're going to die, and they're like, okay, yeah, tell the story. So I told the story of Jesus calming the storm and uh, how the disciples felt like they were going to die. And we discussed the story, and, uh, and that's pretty much what our team did. Uh, oftentimes we'd split apart, and uh, one, one team would go to a different house. They would share stories. And there were a few people that we got to share the full gospel with. Uh, But many people were just starting to introduce who Jesus is. You see, the Quran talks about Jesus. It it says that he healed many people, that he uh, gave sight to the blind. It says that he was a great prophet, uh, the the greatest prophet. Uh, He says he's the only prophet still alive compared to all the other prophets. The Quran actually says a lot of good things about Jesus. uh, But they don't have any details so so when we come and give a Bible story, we're actually giving details to Jesus' life and, uh, and asking questions that help set apart Jesus, not just as a prophet, but as um, God incarnate. So uh, the ground is ready to be uh, broken up, and it's really now a matter of time. We didn't have enough time. Uh, the distribution was important. The distribution opened up doors, but then we just didn't have enough time to sit with everybody, drink tea. In fact, there, there was one day we got back to the base, and I was like, I can't drink another cup of tea. I just, I can't do it. Um, it was just so much tea. I'm sure, Melinda, you felt the same way, like you just, you know, uh, sitting around. But uh, we, we would pray with people. There, there was one incident where uh, I, I went to, a, I met a family, and they, their a poisonous snake had gone into their tent. And they were afraid to go in because they saw it go in. And uh, they, so they were terrified to go into their tent and they didn't know what to do. And so I said, well, you know, I'm a Christian. They're like, Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we thought you were. And I said, well, listen, I can pray to God in the name of Jesus. And because I have a relationship with God, he, he can remove that snake and give us grace in this area. And, and he said, they said, I said, would you like me to pray? But I'm only going to pray through Jesus and, and ask Jesus to do this. And he said, "Okay, yeah, you pray." So, so I go up to the tent. and I'm like, "Lord, you got to protect me." So I, I walk into this tent because you can't see anything in the sides. It's not that big. And and I walk into the tent and I'm like, I turn around and I and they won't come in. The family's like watching me, like, and, and I lift up my hands to to pray like they pray, and uh, I prayed. In Jesus' name, I said, God, you you sent snakes into the camp of Israel. Lord, you protected your apostle Paul. Now we ask, Lord, for you to command the snake to leave this tent. And we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, show us your mercy, dear God. So I prayed that prayer. And then uh, I said, okay, we prayed. I'll come back tomorrow and I'll ask what happened. So the next day I came back and I said, so what happened? And they said, the snake left. Right after you left, the snake left. And I said, oh, do you remember we prayed? Yeah, we, I remember you prayed. Do you remember whose name we prayed in? We prayed in Jesus' name. And so uh, just reminding them that Jesus has power. Now, I was really thankful because I wasn't sure God was going to work that way. But, <laughs> but <laughs> like, you got to use every resource you have when you're reaching such an unreached people group. And uh, so there's another man, Ahmed, who earlier one of Vitaly's teammates had prayed over who had been healed of a, an infection in his arm, and i had heard about this. So when we went back to visit with our team, I said, Ahmed, how are you doing? He said, I'm good. I said, ah, Ahmed, can you tell my friends what happened to you? And he's like, yeah, So because I, I wanted him to share what Jesus had done for him. And he shared how Jesus had healed him. And then Alan jumped up with the story of Jesus healing the leper. Alan began sharing that story, and he just finished sharing the story when this cantankerous, grandma came in yelling and screaming about shoes and all sorts of stuff, being totally disruptive to what was happening. And uh, we were trying to talk to her. Finally, I said, okay, okay. So I got up. I said, come, 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 come. I, I had her sit down next to Ahmed. And I said, Ahmed, please tell her what the story was. And Ahmed said, he, he began to tell her the story. and He told her to her just as we had told it to him. He told her the story of Jesus healing the leper. And uh, and part of that was we wanted him to own the story, not us, and uh, then it's not us trying to convert people; it's it's him, and plus it, it helps him. It, it has him take ownership. So she hears the story, and then she gets up angry and she leaves. <laughs> I was like, problem taken care of. <laughs> so, so, but we were able to sit with Ahmed Ahmed and uh, talk about Jesus healing this leper, and so uh, so there there is plenty of opportunity. But we just need workers, uh, so I, you know, I really want to ask that you would all pray for workers for this area, that God would just flood that area with, uh, with workers who uh, are not only sensitive to meet the needs of the people, but also to share the gospel, and uh, maybe even some of you are those workers. I don't know, but maybe you'll pray about that too. We certainly can get you there and get you acquainted with people, and and that the time will be well spent for the kingdom. Uh, so uh, just pray about that, and, and uh, it, it, was, it was overall it was a great trip. And Lord willing, we'll have a Wednesday night or something where we'll share some more stories about what happened. Because I'm only sharing my perspective of what happened. Uh, Melinda has a very different perspective because she went different places than I did, uh, and so she we have there's a lot that has happened. All right, um, so I'm happy to be back with you, and please be praying for Turkey. With that said, we're in Luke chapter six. Continuing on in in, uh, the Gospel of Luke, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time and we thank you, Lord, for just the the fruit that you gave to us um, in Turkey. And Lord, we pray that those seeds that were planted, Lord, you know which ones will be ground, ready to receive your Word. And I thank you for the confession of Sarah to... Melinda, Allen and Naomi, Lord, that uh, she has a Bible, and she doesn't, she, she doesn't believe the Quran. And we thank you for that beautiful confession she made, and we pray, Lord, that you'd bless her, help her to grow and, uh, and, and really believe in you and be born again, as well as all the others we met. And we pray now, Lord, as we enter into your word that you might teach us, that you might give us understanding so that we can not just be hearers of the word, but also doers. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Luke chapter 12, or 6, verse 12. We're going to start out in. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 12 is where it was left off. And we'll see how far we get. I definitely won't probably get to the end of the chapter today, but we'll see. In, In these days, Jesus, it says he went out, but it's Jesus went out to the mountain to pray And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Uh, by the way, forgive me if uh, my reading's a little off today. I, I'm, the jet lag's starting to set in, and I feel like I'm going a little cross-eyed. And uh, I forgot my reading glasses. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so I may stumble a couple times when I read. But let's talk about this for a minute. Jesus is getting ready to call his disciples and choose out of his disciples 12. And, and the first thing I want to point out to you is that he had a lot more disciples than just 12. But out of his disciples, he called 12 and he called them apostles. And that's important. But before he did it, we read that he went up to a mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer. This is an example for us to follow. And if we, if we don't get this part of the text, how can we get the rest of the text? Because you're going to see that even the rest of the text that we get through tonight, you're going to see that you're going to need prayer and dependence upon God If we're going to fulfill what he commands in this passage. Jesus went to the mountain to pray. Now we know that Jesus was truly God and truly man. And with that we know that Jesus came to reveal the father to us. But on a regular basis Jesus went and prayed. He waited on the father. Now I know it's hard sometimes for us to understand the relationship. Because we know God is one. There is no other beside him. But we, we know that the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. But the incarnation kind of messes us up a little bit because we almost are tempted to think, well, why does Jesus need to pray? Well, I think this is where that incarnation where he was also truly man comes into play. But there's an example, though, that he was dependent upon the Father and the Father's will. And he wanted to know God's will before he chose And this is important for the believer. The believer needs to spend more time in prayer. Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. And I I think about that all the time that when when I'm going to pray and I have trouble focusing for 20 minutes, uh, focusing for 45 minutes, focusing for an hour. Man, Jesus spent all night in prayer in this communion with God where he was speaking with God, listening to God. I wanna pray more like that. And I wanna encourage you Dear ones, don't think like, well, I don't have the gift of intercessory prayer, so I can't pray like this. See, I, I, there is a gift of prayer, I, I believe. that there, There's a gift of intercess, intercessory prayer. But it doesn't mean that that prayer isn't for all believers. And prayer isn't something that all believers need to be partaking in and doing and committing our days and our steps to the Lord, waiting and hearing from the Lord. Prayer is, is necessary. Prayer is the rope that, that, that attaches our boat in, in just a tumultuous sea to the pier, which is God. Okay, you get the picture there? That, that's prayer. Prayer is what, what keeps us uh, focused upon God and his will and, and set apart from our own will or the will of the world. And so Jesus prayed. Now look, look at what it says. He says, when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Now, uh, the word apo- uh, a, a disciple is someone who attaches themselves to a teacher to learn. An apostle is, is one who is sent. That's literally what the word means sent one. And it comes from the idea of a ship being sent off to carry a message. That's where, where the Greek word kind of comes from apostolos. And, and here Luke points out that, that these 12 were set apart with a, a, a different intention by Jesus that they were called apostles. And, and Luke mentions this throughout uh, his gospel and throughout the book of Acts. He speaks about the apostolic authority or the authority of these 12 that was different from everybody else. And uh, I know today it's, uh, there's a popular movement. Uh, It's called the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, and they believe that that, uh, we have apostolic authority in the absence of these apostles, and I'm not too keen for that idea. I mean, yes, in the broad sense of the word, we are sent ones also, so in the broad sense of the definition, you could say that Christians have been sent out to fulfill the Great Commission, but in the narrow sense of the definition of for apostle is one who has authority given to them by Christ to fulfill the purposes of uh, writing the, the scripture um, and for ministering to the church and in 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 specific ways, there's an authority there. I think there's twelve. In fact, if you go to Revelation twenty-one fourteen, we read, and the wall, Revelation twenty-one fourteen. And the wall of the city, now this is speaking about heaven, had 12 foundations and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So I think this is a little bit problematic for those who are saying that there's, no, no, every pastor has apostolic authority and we we have this authority for the whole church. I, I think that's a problem in their theology because here we see that these 12 were different. They're set apart. Now, the question is, what about Judas? Judas was the 12th, uh, and we'll see, we see here in Luke's list, he's listed last, but, but the question is, which 12th one will be listed uh, on the pillars in heaven? Will it be Matthias, who was chosen in Acts chapter 2, or will it be the apostle Paul? We can argue about it and maybe even have a church split and start the church of the Apostle Paul and the church of, of, of the, the Apostle uh, Matthias. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we'll find out when we get there, right? So that sounds good. Let's just do that. But uh, let's look at this list for a minute. <clears throat> He's, uh, he chose from them 12. Simon, whom he named Peter. So we're familiar with Simon. Andrew, his brother. Now, Andrew is unique in the fact that uh, throughout the gospel, Andrew is bringing people to Jesus. Uh, he, he, he brought Peter to Jesus. Uh, originally, he, he told Peter about Jesus, that he found the Messiah. Andrew uh, brought Greeks in the Gospel of John. There were some Greeks asking about him, and Andrew's the one who brings them. Andrew's always, uh, throughout the Gospels, he's the one. Remember Jesus uh, told the disciples when the people were hungry, those 5,000, he said, you give them something to eat? Well, guess who brought a, a young boy with uh, the fish and the loaves to Jesus? It was Andrew. Andrew bought, brought this boy with um, five loaves and two fishes to Jesus, and Jesus did the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So that's Andrew, James, and John. So usually when we ask who are the names of the apostles, we get through Peter, James, John, Matthew, and then it starts to get blurry. We always forget about Philip and Bartholomew and Thaddeus, which Thaddeus is not in the list here, which I'll explain in just a moment. But, but the other apostles we don't know as well because we, the, the Gospels don't, don't tell us much about them. Uh, of course, Thomas we know from the fact that he denied the Lord three times. And of course, in John 14, he was, uh, they were worried about Jesus being killed. And he said, well, let's go with Jesus and we'll all die together. <laughs> but, uh, but then later he denies, he, well, he doesn't deny Jesus. Later he says, well, I won't believe unless I see the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. And uh, and then later Jesus reveals Himself, but Thomas does make that incredible confession. He says, uh, "My Lord and my God, the God of me and the Lord of me," uh, speaking about Jesus Christ. So, uh, <clears throat> Luke's list, list: Peter first, Judas the traitor is named last. Um, now, Bartholomew is most likely the same person as Nathaniel, who's mentioned in John's Gospel. We're going to see that a lot of them are mentioned by two different names. For instance, Simon and Peter. Uh, both names are, belong to him. Um, and then, of course, we have Matthew, uh, who's also called Levi in the Gospels. In the Matthew, the tax collector. And we have him with Simon the Zealot. Uh, Simon the Zealot, there's a contrast here. Matthew would have been looked at as a, a, uh, <clears throat> a sympathizer with Rome and a traitor to the cause of, of, of the Jewish independence. And Simon the Zealot would have been one who was committed to Jewish independence. In fact, it's the, the group of zealots that eventually started the revolt against Rome in 66 AD, which led to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So uh, both Matthew and Simon have the exact opposite view on politics. So I want to point this out to you. This is what the gospel does. This is what Jesus Christ does. He brings people all to the cause of Christ, to who he is, who come from very opposite views. Um, we, we don't see that, we see that it, Jesus is always unifying people in himself because it's about following Jesus, not about following our particular um, <laughs> the, the particular uh, zeal for that day, whatever that might be. And so Matthew left uh, tax collecting, and Simon left the zealots to follow Jesus. Uh, we have um, Judas, the son of James. He's also called Thaddeus in Mark's gospel. Uh, Judas, uh, some, sometimes he's also called Jude, but not to be confused with Judas Iscariot or Jude, the brother of Jesus, stepbrother of Jesus, uh, who wrote the letter of Jude. So uh, we can work that out. Uh, I want to draw your attention one more name in the, in the, or a little more about these. Now, we don't know what each of the individual apostles did. We, we don't have a record of everybody. A lot of church um, uh, tradition... And you can look that up online and read about it. Like Thomas, for instance, we believe made it all the way to India with the gospel. Uh, but here, what we do know is all 12 have their names written on foundational pillars in heaven. Um, so we know that they fulfilled the, the ministry of Christ. We only just know a few by, by mention from the gospels that still stick with what's happening. So when we get to heaven, we're going to find out more. Uh, David Gusick said this Uh, David Gusick said that someone came up to a pastor and asked uh, why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot remember he prayed all night and he chose Judas Iscariot who would later betray him and so uh, the person when he came up to a pastor and asked this why did Jesus choose Judas Iscariot the pastor responded I don't know why Jesus chose Judas but I have an even greater question for you why did Jesus choose me and that, that's a good question. Why did he choose me? Because uh, we find ourselves when we start comparing ourselves and uh, we find that, wow, I, I don't always, uh, I'm not always faithful. There's times when I choose to, to sin, when, a, when it's not a stumble, but it's a, 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 a sin of trespass. But we know that Christ has chosen us and called us out and convicts us and we turn back to him. All right, let's go to verse 17. Verse 17 says, and he came down with them, that's the disciples and the apostles, and and stood on the level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. We're about to enter into a sermon that Jesus gives. And uh, it's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. But this is called the Sermon on the Plain. Because it says he came down and stood on a level place. Uh, Some of your translations say he stood on a plain. Versus the Sermon on the Mount, he went up. Onto the hillside with his disciples. And we know there was a greater crowd because Matthew 7 tells us that there was a great crowd with him when he heard this. But uh, this is very similar to what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. There are some little differences, but the truths are, are there. And I'm sure Jesus taught these truths more than once. And so we, we get Luke's, Luke's, uh, uh, Luke's perspective on these things. But notice that that these people were gathering around and this great multitude of people were gathering to Jesus and they were coming with a couple things. They came to hear him. So it says that they came to hear Jesus. They wanted to learn from him. But then they also came to be healed. There there were those who came to be healed. They had a disease, a problem of physical need. Uh, While we were there in Turkey, uh, it was said more than a couple times uh, I wonder how Jesus must have felt because we'd be, as soon as we open up a van with, with supplies, it was like a, a horde would come at you. And if, if we didn't, the couple of times we tried to do it without giving tickets to people, it was just utter chaos. People pushing in and you're trying to push them back and they're crushing in like even children. They're just trying to grab something. Uh, no one wants to be patient and wait and, and do it organized. They, they just want it so much. And and we, we would often reflect on this is like, what must it have been like for Jesus, who's constantly being pressed in by people? They always want to be with him. They always want something from him. And it's beautiful because what we see is Jesus doesn't say, you know what, you're a jerk, I'm out of here. Right? He, he, he meets them where they're at. He loves them. And, and we see that, that power goes out from him. And, and those who may have just come to be healed of the diseases or had troubling spirits, they were cured. Maybe they didn't come with a motive of, oh, Jesus, I really want to know the word of God from you. Maybe they just came with a motive to be healed. But he's still healed. And we know others came with a motive to hear him. They wanted to, they wanted to listen to him and learn from him. And and they also received. All the crowd sought to touch him. They all wanted to touch him. And so this is where the sermon on the plain begins. Let's look at verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now the word blessed means, oh, how happy. That's what the word means. Oh, how happy. And I think think we can all identify with that. You can ask any person and say, would you like to be blessed? Even an unbeliever, you can say, would you like to be blessed? Because we understand that that word blessed means, oh, how happy. Oh, how fruitful. Oh, how good is your life? Uh, We're not so far removed from the Christian foundations in in, in our community and our culture and in the U.S. to to not understand that idea of would you like to be blessed and and everybody said yeah I want to be blessed in fact I, for a while there there was uh you know hashtag blessed uh, whenever something good happened on social media hashtag blessed and then it, then it became a joke it went from everybody saying hashtag blessed to to showing something like. Some terrible video of somebody crashing or, or like riding a skateboard and just eating it. And then they put hashtag blessed, right? Uh, they were all joking. But, but we understand that word. Oh, I want to be blessed. And so Jesus starts out with this idea of blessed are you, happy are you. Oh, how happy you are who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven on the Sermon on the Mount. But oh, how happy. This is so contrary to everything we believe will bring happiness. We believe that happiness is found in wealth and security. If, if I can just make enough money, if I can get enough wealth and security, I'm gonna be happy. We, we uh, talked to a man who was sharing how he had uh, been working in Saudi Arabia, saving money, And he had been saving and saving and saving. And he just wanted to be able to have a home for his family, have a good car, uh, be able to afford things. And and so he'd he'd hit that that place. He had made the money. He was ready to come home and retire. And the earthquake happened in Turkey. He lost it all. Car collapsed. the, The building collapsed on his car. He lost his building. He lost everything he worked for. Happiness isn't found in riches because, I'll tell you this, riches don't last. They last for a time. And so Jesus says, oh, how happy are you who are poor for years of the kingdom of God. There is a greater inheritance to be inherited that's not of this world that the Christian needs to fix their lives upon and fix their eyes towards. And notice that there's a contrasting statement And you're going to see a woe to each blessed here on the Sermon on the Plain. We don't get this in the Sermon on the Mount, but there's a woe. Now listen, anytime Jesus says woe, like W-O-E, woe, that's a bad thing. If God says woe to those Pharisees, that's a bad thing. And so if you look at verse 24, we find the contrasting statement to blessed are, are, are those who are poor for years of the kingdom of God. We read, Blessed, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, we know that Jesus isn't just talking about monetary wealth. We're not, he's not just talking about physical wealth. Certainly, God chooses some to be wealthy. Some, and and he, he gifts to those who he wants to for his purposes and, and for the resources of the kingdom. And, and we all get to be stewards, whether we use them well or not. But, but Jesus is also talking about something spiritual. He's, he's opening up with the physical to help someone understand something spiritual, as he always does. And so he's saying, it, it, woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your consolation. The issue is a spiritual issue of being rich in spirit. I don't need anything. I don't need anything from God. I'm great. As the Pharisee and the tax collector went up to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee uh, stood there before God. and Oh, God. Thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not a a murderer, a thief, an extortioner, adulterer. But I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all I have to the poor. And I'm especially not like this tax collector. But the tax collector stood far off, beat his breast, and wouldn't even raise his eyes toward heaven, but said, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it was the tax collector collector who went down to his home justified and not the Pharisee. For all who humble themselves will be exalted and all who lift themselves up will be humbled. There's the difference of poor in spirit. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector cried out to God and asked God, God, please have mercy on me. I need you. I don't have enough. But the Pharisee, Didn't ask anything of God. He just bragged to God. God, thank you that I'm this good. God, thank you. It's like such a bogus prayer. (laughs) That I'm not even like this guy over here. Ew, yuck. Right? So Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. You've already received your consolation. Dear church, don't put your your trust in earthly riches or wealth, but rather place it in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're gonna see here in just a moment. Look at the next one. It says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Oh, how happy to be hungry, and oh, how happy to weep. Now, look at Luke 6.25. It says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry, and woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep, and of course in Matthew we have, blessed are those who mourn or grieve, for they shall be comforted, and we have blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the same idea here. It's about something spiritual. Blessed are you when you when you when you weep over your sin, when you weep over your spiritual state. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst when you're. So hungry for God and you want to know more. That's blessed. Isaiah prophesies about a moment in time, which those who believe in Christ will all get to be a part of. Look at this. It says, blessed are you who are hungry now. Oh, sorry. Go to Isaiah 25. I started reading Luke again in the back. There we go. Isaiah 25, 6. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the, the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, as Jesus is speaking this about those blessed are you who weep now for you 're going to laugh, and blessed are you who are hungry now for you 're going to be satisfied. I really believe he 's referring back to this passage in Isaiah that this, this this is coming when we focus on the lord verse twenty two Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Look at the woe, verse 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I, I think this is more applicable than ever, especially in the age of social media. Uh, as, as we're all looking for a like on a post, um, I gave up my social media in 2020 or something because it was just like, I'd post something of my own personal opinion or conviction and everybody was like, Warr. so I was like, all right, I'm done. Because uh, I know what they do. They always go, but you're a pastor. You should not do that. I'm like, well, I get a voice too. So anyway, as you got my gripe. So besides I was right on everything. So I just had to wait two years. But I didn't get on social media and say I was right. Hashtag right. Anyway. So. <laughs> Clearly this is deep in sight, guys. I'm working it out here. Uh, <laughs> but But as Jesus talks about this idea of being hated, being excluded, being reviled, being spurned, He's talking about the issue of following him on the account of the Son of Man, not just being reviled because you're a horrible person or because you're mean to everybody or because you're cutting people off in traffic and, and, and people are, are making crude gestures toward you. You're, you're not saying, oh, praise you, Lord, I'm so blessed, right? No, that's, it's on account of Jesus that you're spurned, reviled, or hated, or excluded, and notice he, he, he says, for this is what they did to the father, to, so their fathers did to the prophets. Jeremiah is also often referred to as also the weeping prophet because he's a prophet who's called to represent God to the people. He's called with a message to give to the people, but he's also told at the same time, you're not going to be successful. They're all going to reject you. And there were false prophets raised up in Jeremiah's day. And Jeremiah would come and he prophesy to the people of Judah. And they would ignore him. And the false prophets would come and say, oh, this guy's full of it. That's not at all what God says. And the people would choose to believe the false prophets. And I think we see that today in the church, in America especially, in our own culture. We see that there are movements like the LGBTQ plus something else, whatever, uh, movement. And, and they're calling, like, they're gathering churches to themselves, false prophets, who would agree with them. And if you say, no, God says that this is a sin, that this isn't right, oh, you're so mean, you're a bigot, you're this, you're that. That is, blessed are you when you're reviled, or excluded, or spurned. And I want to say this for those of you guys that are in high school, because there's a few here tonight you're going to especially feel this pressure among high school. You're going to feel it even more. I'm not saying you have to go around telling everybody, oh, you're wrong. That's sinful. But when asked about it, you're to represent Jesus Christ. When you, as you live your life, you're to represent Jesus Christ. I, I hate getting asked that question. Uh, hey, what do you think about same-sex marriage? Because I already know it's a loaded question. Because if they knew me, they would already know that I believe in the Bible. So when I get asked the question, I'm like, oh, okay, let me tell you. And we get into the word. And then they say, well, okay, well, thank you, but I'm leaving. Okay, see you later. Blessed are you when people hate you or revile you. Because the fact is, if you're going to stand for the word of God, you're going to also be rejected by some. You're not blessed for being popular because I'll tell you what, popularity wanes. Uh, You can be really popular in high school, and the day you graduate high school, all of a sudden you're not. Uh, All your friends are, well, remember how popular I was? Now I'm in college and it doesn't even matter. (laughs) Then you get out of college, it doesn't matter. Anyway, don't don't chase after popularity. 1 Peter 3.14 and 4.14, I want you to mark these two verses, but they speak about this. 1 Peter 3.14 says, I'm looking at my time here. 1 Peter 3.14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. There it is again. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So Peter reemphasizes this point. And Peter was there when Jesus taught this. He was sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And now he's teaching it to the churches of Asia Minor saying, you will be blessed if this happens. If you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. You'll be able to say, oh, how happy. And in verse 14 of chapter four, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, why is, is Peter emphasizing this twice in his small epistle? Well, let me tell you this. It never feels good to be rejected. It never feels good to be spurned, reviled. It never feels good to be uh, called names by people for righteousness' sake. In fact, the last thing we want to do is have conflict with people. We just want to live our lives in peace. We don't want to cause trouble. The fact is, if you're going to live a righteous life, especially today, you're going to be reviled. It's going to happen. So just prepare yourselves now. As Peter says in his epistle, gird up your loins. Uh, wrap up your, 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 get ready, get fit and ready to, to, to deal with this. It's going to happen. And so, so understand, though, that you don't live for this kingdom or this world. You live for your heaven, the heavenly kingdom. And so Peter says, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. And that's what I want to call your attention. The opposite of this is if you feel everybody speaking well of you, it's probably you're probably not representing the gospel enough among your friends. So verse 27. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Okay, as we're entering into the next portion of of this sermon on the plain, we're going to begin to find out that there are some things that are hard to do. For instance, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. This is very difficult. And I want to tell you right now that unless you are dependent upon Christ, this is impossible. Because we can try and do it. We can say, okay, uh, Lord, I'm going to love them. But we're not really dependent upon Christ. And finally, we're going to, enough is enough. That's it. I'm done with you. Right? And we blow up or whatever the case is. But here we're, saying, we're, we're being taught to, to love your enemies. And listen, if there's one person who understands what it means to love their enemies, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible said that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He understands. He understands that person that every time you're around, they cause problems. Every time they're around, you just can't stand being next to them or near them but listen, here's what you can do. You can start praying, Lord God, this person is a child. You're created, creation by you. Maybe they're not born again, but, but they're created by you, God. And, and, and I want to be able to love them the way you loved me. I want to be able to show them love. Lord, help me not to, to, to repay evil for evil. Give me opportunity to show more love to them. Start praying for them. Lord, I want them to know your salvation. May they see me, you, and me. And so we see that Jesus calls us to love our enemies, do good to those who hate you. This is so contrary to our, our, our lives. It's contrary to the way we're raised. It's contrary to everything. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. You know, we often think bless those who curse you. It's like uh, we, we bless more in a sarcastic manner. Oh, yeah, bless you too, guy. There you know. <laughs> but, but Jesus is being serious. Go out of your way to, to, to give them good fortune. Go out of your way to bless them and help them know that, that you love them. And a lot of times we think, well, okay, maybe if I show them love or I bless them when they're doing evil to me, or or I pray for those who are abusing me if if I if I do this then I can start to expect them to change no nope. <laughs> not, not not the case you're doing this because Christ commands it of you because if you're a follower of Jesus this is what Jesus has done and we want to be like the master which we'll see uh next week but let me go to the, the, the last two verses here. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now this isn't saying you can't defend yourself. Uh, this is speaking more of somebody trying to pick a fight with you and just letting it go. Um, I know this has kind of been misinterpreted uh, sometimes with with people, but I think the real real idea here is that You're really trying to be a person of peace and a person who represents the kingdom of heaven, not a person who represents yourself. So you can handle someone uh, offending you. You can handle someone trying to abuse, someone trying to uh, revile you. You can handle it because you're in Christ. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And next week we're going to get into this law of reciprocity as it's uh, the idea here is. So with that said, we're going to close tonight. But let me, let me encourage you because I think when we hear these words of loving those who are abusive, we're prone to say, but Pastor, you don't know. You don't know what I've been enduring. Pastor, you don't know how evil this person is being. And I'll tell you this, I don't. I don't know. But I do know that if Jesus can do it and if he's your Lord, he can give you peace while fulfilling his words and commands. He can minister to you through that time. And so I wanna encourage you not to depend on the pastor's words, but depend upon Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together and we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord God, that you might help us, help us to reflect you more that we might be like our teacher, look like you, Lord, that we might uh, reflect you as we minister to others and as we meet with people and as we love on, on those who are lost and far from you, God. May we represent your kingdom well. We thank you, dear God, and we depend upon you. And Lord, and right now, if, if you're in this room and you're in that place where you don't know how to love your enemy, they've, they've been too evil to you, they've been too abusive to you, I want you to bring that before the Lord Jesus right now. You just silently pray, say their name to the Lord. He knows. Ask him for wisdom. Holy Spirit, I pray that you might give strength to each and everyone who's dealing with an enemy. Lord, each and every one who wants to love, love their enemy but feels inadequate and incapable, Lord, we pray that you might fall upon them in a fresh way, Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you might strengthen them up, might give them wisdom, that, Lord, they might not see that person just as an enemy, but they might be able to see that individual as one who you want to save. So we thank you, dear God. We love you. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us and you wouldn't command us to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself that you didn't, didn't do yourself. So we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is our shepherd. Amen. Amen. Now may God bless you. May he keep you. May he fill your mind with peace and may you live for him. Amen.